Ask and you shall receive, some guy once said. I asked if you wanted me to review WCW shows as part of my 10 years ago series. You answered in your drove saying, yes, Mark, please review WCW shows. Now, as this series is called 10 years ago, and we review a show from 10 years ago. So seeing it is February, and we're reviewing shows from February 2000. That, of course, means that we can't do WCW sold out. So as much as it might pain my friend Joe to not get a sold out review, because I know how badly he wanted me to do, and I refuse to do it, because I've just heard so much about it that it was bad. But... On with the show, hey? WCW Super Brawl 2000. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Now, I was looking forward to doing this series. Do you know why I was looking forward to doing this series? Because I've done the 1999 Suck series, all 19 episodes, and a lot of the shows that I've had to watch were truly bollocks. So I was truly looking forward to watching the WWF shows from the year 2000, because I know that the majority of them are good. Why do you do this to me? Super Bowl 2000. I'm going to say this categorically, right? The best match on this show gets two stars. Just think about that before you go on watching this video. Two stars. Think about what I've had to go through to watch this show. Before we go on, though, a little bit of trivia for you. Super Bowl 99 main event was Hogan versus Flair. It did a $550,000 house and a 1.1 buy rate. Yes, Super Bowl 2000 had Hogan versus Luger and Flair versus Funk. It drew a $177,000 house and a 0.15 buy rate. That is how fast WCW was plummeting by this time. Oh yes. Oh yes. So in the opening contest, the artist formerly known as Prince Ikea, I think that's how you say his name, defeated Lash LaRue to win the Cruiserweight title. Pretty poor match. It's a quartered start, you know. The um, artist, um, no, sorry, the Cruiserweight title was forfeited by Oklahoma. Do you remember that guy? Oklahoma was Ed Ferreira, uh, dressed as, uh, as JR. Doing a JR ripoff and one of the worst gimmicks of all time. The artist looks like a complete Prince ripoff. I guess that was the idea, even coming out to a Prince tune. But you know, there's no time. I, I, as many people know, I have literally zero time for Prince. I don't like his music and I don't like the guy. So anyway, um, oh, and, and one more thing before we go on. This match starts 11 minutes after the pay-per-view has started. Pay-per-view starts. Loads of build-up, loads of value bar, loads of... I'm not even going to talk about all the skits and... Oh, some of the skits in the back were so bad. There was a mystery door, yeah, that they couldn't get open. And they talked about this door all the way through the show. And it's just like, I don't give a shit who's behind the door. Really, I, I don't, I don't, I really don't. I don't, I, don't, I just don't. <laughs> anyway... Uh, nice splash to the outside by LaRue. There's a WWF suck sign in the crowd. That makes me smile on two levels. The first is because at this time, the WWF was at its hottest and its, at its height, creatively and financially. And also, the fact that this deluded fan actually thinks that WWF suck compared to what he's watching right now. I wonder if he halfway through the show, he just tore it up and off. Fuck it. Just fuck it. <laughs> right, in a truly bizarre moment, the artist tries to counter a sunset flip, yeah? And you know the way how you counter a sunset flip, you do this, you do this, you do that. Yeah, the artist grabs referee Charles Robinson's cock and sits there holding his penis. That's truly a odd counter, if you ask me. The action is awful. 
both men from yeah, from both men, sorry, jumping DDT gets the win for the artist. There's no reaction. I truly don't care, and it's a quarter of a star to get the pay-per-view up and rolling. Next, Brian Nobbs defeated Bam Bam Bigelow to win the WCW Hardcore title. Once again, quarter of a star. This one, you know, ooh, brawl around the entranceway, then into the crowd, then into a corridor. The uh, Nobbs goes through a table, but he's hardcore, so he no sells it. They get back to the ring eventually, and I say eventually because this takes a long time to get to the back to the ring. Um, Nobbs goes through another table, and like I say, he's hardcore, no sells it completely. Greetings from Astro Park, but for some reason, Bam Bam Bigelow doesn't go for the cover, and then Nob, Nobbs uses a trash can lid to get the win. You know, this is the, you know, another one of those classic problems. Remember what I've always said in my 1999 Salt Series? Hardcore matches, yeah, to give them all, give them all, you know, take them all, leave them. But when you do all these big spots and then there's something so stupid to get the win, you're like, ugh, look at that. Like I say, you know, Nobs went through two tables and took Bam Bam Bigelow's finishing move, but it takes a shot from a trash can lid to get the win for him. Ridiculous. Quarter of a start. Then, three count, remember them, did a, a, won a three, a, a, a three on one handicap match. Poor as fuck, right? They do the lip stink stuff at the start. But then they don't, that's the thing, they come out to do it, but then they say that they're not going to sing, and that gets a pop from the crowd. Brilliant. In fact, that gets the biggest pop of the match. Yeah, match is simple. Norman gets like a tiny little bit of offense in and then just gets owned, absolutely owned. The finish is Evan Courageous hitting a corkscrew splash, Shane Helms with a frog splash, and then Shannon Morlocks and a Boston Crab for the win. I think, I think, this match was meant to make um, Norman Smiley look like he's a tough guy because he can take on the face of you know, adversity, but it failed on every level because Norman Smiley's shite and three count. Although talented, their gimmick was atrocious. What a bad gimmick. Next, The Wool defeated the Kiss Demon in a crap match, right? Because of the contract with Kiss. I don't know if you, any of you remember the Kiss Demon, right? They had Kiss on WCW Nitro, yeah? They had this contract with Kiss where they would create a character based on Kiss. Specifically Gene Simmons. He was called the Kiss Demon. And part of the contract said that he had to appear in a set amount of main events. Right, but after about oh, you know, you know what Vince Russo's like with his attention span. So after about ten minutes, they decided, well, we don't want him in the main event, but they have this contract in place. So <laughs> this is fucking brilliant. You couldn't make this up. You really couldn't. Every match that the Kiss Demon was in had to be advertised as a special main event, and that's what this was. Anyway, the Wolves music hits, but he doesn't come out. So the Demon goes after him, and naturally, naturally, of course, gets ambushed. Wall. Um, Takes him, takes him back to the ring, and there's boring chants and lots of them. Demon hits a nice vertical suplex, but that's about the best thing he does. Um, Wall hits a chokeslam off the top for the win in a dud. Speaking of dud, next match, Tank Abbott defeated Big Al in an absolutely wank skins match. Now, for those of you who don't know what a skins match is, this is a classic wrestling one. Yeah, this this a skins match could headline Wrestlemania easily and I don't to this day understand why the WWE don't do more of them they should do one one Raw every week skins match equals ratings this is the deal right hold on to your seats and you hold on tight your head might explode from the excitement of this one right a skins match is a jacket on a pole match and the winner is the guy who gets the jacket Win! You can see why WCW went out of business with shit like this. 
So, who the fuck is Big Al? We know who Tank Abbott is. He's a UFC fighter who's fat and overweight and looks stupid, who Vince Russo wanted to put the WCW Heavyweight Championship on, and, you know, he's famous for knocking people out. Yeah, I can live with that one. But who the fuck's Big Al? No one knows. Anyway, um... Al takes his belt off and they basically tie their right hands together. Clever move you can probably think of because uh, it means that they can't use their right fists you know, to knock people out. But then they, they just start punching each other with their left hands. Tank goes up the pole, drops, and you basically, w- w- with Al on his, sh- on his shoulders, and drops Al onto uh, the ring steps. And um, then gets his jacket. And that's probably the best part of the match. But no, 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 there's better. There's more to come because... Al's down on the outside, Tank comes down with his jacket on and pulls a fucking knife out of his jacket. And this, I promise you, is one of the best moments in wrestling I've ever seen because of its pure, unintentional comedy. Because Tank Abbott pulls a knife out and he holds it to Big Al's throat and he says on camera, loudly, I could fucking kill you. Now, Tony Shabani, in his absolute genius, who, you know, Tony Shabani, to his credit, is brilliant coming up with shit like this. Michael Cole couldn't have done this. Michael Cole wouldn't have just said it, would have just said nothing. Because Tony Schiavone, in his infinite wisdom, says, maybe he's trying to cut Big e- to shave Big E Val's, Big E Val, sorry, Big Al, Big E Val on the brain, damn it, Big Al's beard. Maybe he's trying to shave Big Al's beard. Tiny little problem, Schiavone, and that's that Big Al hasn't got a beard. So that doesn't quite make sense. <sighs> Tony, I reckon, I reckon the only explanation that, I can, that can be given from this one is that Tony Schiavone, at this point, had just completely given up. Completely given up on WCW by this point. Anyway, so yeah, that was another dud. Another it wasn't a dud, but it was still pretty damn shit. As Big T, the former Ahmed Johnson, to those who don't know who Big T is, defeated Booker. That's the former, yeah, that's Booker T without the T, because him and Big T had had a match over the letter T, which I'm sure, you know... I'm sure was, you know, just got pay-per-view ratings through the roof, you know. Let's have a match with a letter on the line. Fucking stupid. Anyway, um, the winner in this match got the rights to Harlem Heat's name. So, Booker comes out to the true, some of the worst entry music I've ever heard. True earthful. Anyway, nice pair of suplexes from Booker. Basically, right, what I'll say about this match is everything Booker does is nice. The suplexes he does, he does the axe kick, he does a Russian leg sweep. Everything he does looks good. But everything that Armand Johnson does looks absolutely awful. Add to that, you've got Stevie Ray on the outside, who I've, I never rated as a wrestler at all. Basically, the match goes on here with a T-bone suplex and missile drop kick. Basically, Booker's winning, Booker's winning, Booker's winning. Then he goes for the cover after the after a missile drop kick, and the lights go out. When they come back on, some guy's on the apron. It's not explained who he is. He's just a big black guy in a leather jacket. Big T hits him with a powerbomb, and that's it. This one I gave one star because of how crisp and how nice everything that Booker T did. Oh, sorry, no, his name isn't Booker T, sorry, it's just Booker. You know, he gets one star for that. This would have been a half star, maybe even a quarter star match, again, if it wasn't coming to half Booker. What a waste of Booker's talents. You know, fighting over the rights to the letter T, and then fighting for the rights to the name Harlem P. Oh, weak. Saying that it got worse for Booker in 2000, didn't it? Didn't it, GI bro? Billy Kidman defeated Vampiro in a 
another poor match. They got some nice back and forth stuff at the start. Nice but nice tilt to world slam by Vampiro. A nice brain bisted buster by Vampiro. The crowd are completely dead. And this is what I'll say about this one. It's the same again, right? Everything Billy Kidman does is sloppy and looks rubbish. Everything Vampiro does looks nice and looks crisp. Um, Vampiro gets a chair. Troy Wilson grabs it off it, and Kidman drop kicks into Vampiro. Badly. It looks awful. You're like, oh, that could have been such a nice little manoeuvre right there. No, it looked bad. Back and forth until Vampiro hits a rocker dropper. Mark Madden says, in a truly quality moment here, that he predicts that this match, in two years' time, will be for the World Heavyweight Championship. So in 2002... Oh, wait, that's right, WCW didn't exist then. Yeah. Wrong, Madden. <laughs> uh, Frankenstein gets two for Kidman. Two power bombs get two for Vampiro. And a bad, and I mean bad, this looks sloppy as shit. Reverse DDT by Kidman got the win. Half a star, because I'm a generous kind of guy. And then, oh man, you see, there's still pages of this shit to go. Three more pages. <laughs> Yay. The Mamelukes, which is uh, Johnny the Bull. And um, um, Big Vito, Johnny Ball sample and Big Vito defeat David Flair and Crowbar in an absolutely shockingly poor Sicilian stretcher match to retain the WCW tag team title. So they do boring brawling on the outside. Daphne is on the outside. You all know Daphne because she's in TNA at the moment, right? I like goth girls. I find goth girls attractive. Daphne though. Oh my god, if I'd been in the crowd, I would have jumped over the fucking rail and just punched her. All she does is scream. At one point, she gets the ring bell and starts ringing it, and everyone's like, everyone sort of stops, and it's like, what, is that the match over or something? It's fucking ridiculous. Um, nice German by Johnny the Bull. Uh, but the thing is, the way it's done is the camera's facing like over here, so you just see it out of the corner of the camera. Yay, good work by WCW there. Real nice. Um... After some more bad brawling, Crowbar goes, gets powerbombed through a table. We get a nice, a nice leg drop by Johnny. And then David Flair is put on a stretcher. And then the Mamelukes, they tape him to the stretcher. Now, that's a clever idea. I'll give that one its, its credit, yeah? They tape him to the stretcher so he can't get up. Vio splashes Crowbar through another table. And even Shivani says, how on earth has he got up after going through the first one? So what? He goes through the table, sort of staggers up, and then goes through another table. It doesn't make any sense to the point where the announcers... Basically, you say that it doesn't make any sense. Um, they, the Mamelukes tape him, take um, Crowbar to the stretcher, wheel him away, and this one's done. And while they're there, they tape Daphne's mouth shut. Brilliant. It's still a dud, though. For all the good things that happened in it, the bad so outweighed it. And then, this wasn't a match as such. It was meant to be Ernest Cat Miller versus the Maestro. Um... Ernest Cat Miller had been coming out on Nitro on Thunder on pay-per-view saying he will be bringing James Brown to the point where no one actually believes that he will be bringing James Brown out. So he comes out and he promises James Brown and a James Brown look-alike comes out. Now incidentally, I'm saying this all fast because this took 15 minutes of my life and I just want to, I want to talk about this and then absolutely forget it. I'm going to go and you know, smoke some crack or something to make sure that I never think of this moment ever again. I'm not really, kids. I'm, I'm not. I'm just, you know, it was just the first thing came to me. I'm going to go and have a few beers. How's that? That's better, isn't it? Anyway, so there, 
James Brown comes out, but wait, it's not James Brown, it's a James Brown but lookalike. He dances and looks nothing like James Brown. So the maestro comes out. Now these two had had a deal, right? If if Cat if Ernest Cat Miller couldn't bring out James Brown, James Brown had have to be the maestro's bitch. Right? So James so Ernest Cat Miller's sat there going, Yeah, he's here, Rowdy Rowdy Rowdy. Maestro's saying not says who he says, and then his voiceover, the announcer says, says me. And out comes James Brown, the actual real James Brown. Maestro looks like he has a heart attack and faints because, oh my god, it's James Brown, it's actually James Brown. James Brown and Ernest the Cat Miller dance, Maestro's still dead. Interesting thing about this, let me tell you, WCW paid $25,000 to bring in James Brown, but they kept it a secret, so it was only a surprise for the people who bought or watched this show. So, $25,000 to not bring any additional revenue to the company whatsoever. Win! WCW went out of business for a reason. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, if you have a celebrity on your show, I don't care how minor it is, you advertise them, because there are people out there for some reason, who likes celebrities, who will tune into a show just to watch that celebrity. I don't understand it myself. I really don't, because I don't understand today's celebrity culture. But, you know, some people like that sort of thing. So there you go. Next, Ric Flair defeated Terry Funk in a poor Texas death match. Now, my, I, was, um, I was chatting with Danny Ace on uh, Xbox Live while I was watching this. And I said to him, while these two guys were making their entrances, my prediction here is going to be that Terry Funk uses a lot of punches and Ric Flair does a lot of chops. And as you can probably tell, that was the main theme of this match. Now, for those of you who don't know, because I'm sure there are many people out there who don't know what a Texas death match is. A Texas death match is simple as this, right? It's a standard match. As far as I can tell, it's for under under no disqualification rules, right? And what happens is every time you get a pin... Yeah, the referee utilises a 10 count, right? And if you can't make that 10 count, then you lose. It's as simple as that. And, um, oh, so away they go. So, lots of punches to... I don't really think... I think I haven't explained that very well, because I've seen Texas death matches that have had, like, three or four falls in them. Oh, how about, yeah. No, you see a lot, you see a lot of falls. As a rule, you see a lot of falls in Texas death matches. But of course, if you can't meet the 10 count, then you lose. And if you get a fall, see, there's four. See, if I remember rightly, ladies and gentlemen, I may be wrong on this one, but normally you get the fall, and then the re you get there's a 30 second rest period between the fall and the referee counting to 10. I'm sure in my mind that's how this one works. But for some reason in this one it doesn't. Anyway, lots of punches and chops to start. Nice vertical suplex by Funk. The crowd though are completely dead. I mean completely dead. More punches, more chops. A pair of vertical suplexes on the outside and the second one, these by Funk by the way, and on the second one gets a three count. Referee starts counting but he only gets up to five. Some crap chair shots by Flair, and they were crap. I'm sorry, they were awful. They went, meh, ow, it hurts, meh, ow. No, come on. Um, Madden, Madden, in his genius, says, the crowd have been stunned into silence by the sheer violence of this match. It's no, Madden, they've been shocked into silence by how shit it is. Fucked. Anyway, figure four gets a submission, but Funk gets up at five. Flair goes up top, 
Madden says this never works and he's right. <laughs> Funk tosses him off. Yay! Funk with a power driver on the outside. Then he pulls the mats back, yeah, and hits another power driver on Flair that gets a three. Funk then gets a table and asks if Flair would like to quit. A la the I quit match that they had in the Clash of Champions in July of 1989. Flair gets pile driven through the table. It looks nasty, but Funk goes for the cover and pulls Flair's arm up in an, a move that doesn't make any sense at all. Flair then, Funk then gets another table, sets that up in the ring, and then covers Flair. And for some reason, and I can't figure out why, it only gets two. Would you, would you believe it? Funk goes up top like it's going to hit a moonsault. Flair pulls him off. Funk goes through the table. One, two, three. Flair gets up at eight. Funk doesn't. So Flair wins. I've given it two stars, but on here, going through it, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't sound on paper like it's worth two stars, but it is. I promise you. If you haven't watched it, it is a two-star match, but it doesn't. I mean, mm, you know, two stars is generous, actually. I think. <laughs> anyway, next. In one of those funny moments, it's Hulk Hogan defeating Lex Luger. Shockingly poor one-star match, right? Because this is the semi-main. Yeah, you'd think they wouldn't have it. But, because it's Hogan, Buffer is doing the ring announcing. And he says that this, get this, because this is a direct quote, I promise you, Buffer says this, you can go and check it, that this is the ultimate grudge match. So before, right, you've got Funk, Funk versus Flair, a match, you know, when it happened 10 years ago, was legendary. Their I Quit match at Class of the Champions in July 1989, brilliant. In fact, most of what happened in WCW in 1989 in general was legendary. Go check it out. It's freaking brilliant. It's one of the best wrestling years there's ever been. Yes, but that match, if you're going to say is an ultimate grudge match, that was the match. Not Hogan Luger. No one really cares. Anyway, basic moves of the start. You know, Hogan does you know, all the classics, including an eye rake and the back rake. A back rate. Oh, imagine having to sell that. Imagine someone going, eh, down the back and you go, oh, oh, it hurts. Oh, come on. Hogan cheats a lot in this one. He does the eye rake. He gets, he hits Luger with a chair in front of the ref and the ref doesn't do anything. He does all the things that he used to do as Hollywood Hulk Hogan. It's very strange because this match is meant to be the return of Hulkamania. Um, Hogan has got a cast on his left arm, because apparently Luger on Nitro, six days before, had broken Hogan's arm. Now, Hogan completely knows, not only completely knows the fact that he's got a broken arm, but he also does a fucking clothesline with his broken arm. Genius! My God, Hogan, what a fucking great wrestler. You really are. Liz uses it, Liz is out with, uh, with Luger. I keep saying Luger, but it's actually advertised as the total package. It's Hogan versus the total package, and that's what everyone calls, the announcers call him, package. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, Liz uses a chair, and it's one of the worst chair shots you'll ever see. You think the ones in Flair versus Funk were bad? No, 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 this one was worse. Oh, yes. Liz goes to use a bat, but Jimmy Hart, who's out with Hogan, comes out and takes it. Um, Luger wins a vertical suplex that Hogan completely no-sells. Um, Hogan's going to be, you know, he starts walking up. Luger with a low blow. Hart has got a hassle on his arm as well, because he's got a broken arm. He uses it on Luger. Hogan hits the leg drop. One, two, three. Dear God, how bad was that? And then, 
And then Ric Flair comes out, but Sting makes the save, which is really weird because if you go and look at your wrestling history, a couple of weeks, a couple of months before this, it was Sting versus Hogan, and there's no explanation to that whatsoever. And then, in the main event, Sid Vicious defeated Scott Hall and Jeff Jarrett in a shit, 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 no disqualification match to retain the WCW trial. Who thought putting the belt on Sid Vicious was a good idea? Saying that he was champion of the WWF as well, someone must have thought it was a genius idea. Anyway, what can we start about this? Hall and Jeff Jarrett start without Sid. The ref gets bumped. Uh, Dual chokes on by Sid, but of course there's no referee, so a second referee comes out and um, Jeff Jarrett hits Sid with a belt, which gets two. And Jeff Jarrett gets vexed because it only gets two and takes out the ref. So a third one comes out and Jeff Jarrett takes him out with the stroke. Would you, if you think about this for a second, if you were a referee, would you come out? If you were a referee and three of your comrades have been taken out, would you come running out? I know I wouldn't, but a fourth referee comes comes jogging down and would you believe it? He gets taken out as well. He gets done with the stroke. So a fifth referee comes out and this one's Slick Johnson and this is what Jeff Jarrett wanted all along. He wanted Slick Johnson. Hall hits a razor's edge on Jeff Jarrett, but Johnson won't count it because he's got Nick Patrick counting syndrome. One, two, oh, me shoulder. So then... Jeff Jarrett uses a guitar, didn't see that coming, honest, honest I didn't, I see you, and Rowdy Roddy Piper comes out with the biggest elbow support thing I've ever seen, he takes out Slick Johnson, powerbomb on Hall by Sid Vicious, and Piper counts the three, and that's a lot, and my brain's frazzled, and I never want to see any WCW ever again after that. To think that this is only February in my 10 years ago. So what? Remembering that there was two WCW pay-per-views in, uh, in 2001. That means I've got another year's worth of WCW pay-per-views to go through. Yay. Aren't I lucky pup? This show, I know I've said this a lot on my 99.9 Sucks series. I know. I know I have. But this show was the worst wrestling show I've ever, ever, ever seen. And I mean ever. It makes me angry thinking about just how poor it was. And I feel so sorry. I really do. I feel so sorry for you people who, if you paid for this show, you should have been paid to watch it. It was that bad. Full of horrible matches. Stupid booking. Stuff that made no sense whatsoever. Awful. Thankfully, ladies and gentlemen, the next video in this series will be WrestleMania 16. Hopefully, that can get the bar up a bit, can't it? It's open, eh? I'm Mark Pearson. I'd love to hear what you think down here. If you've got the time, please go and check out UBW Addiction. I'd really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, if anyone's wondering, my eyebrow bar got ripped out yesterday. So, uh, best one get that redone, eh? <laughs> Take it easy. Bye-bye.